You may be seated for our scripture reading, our focus from 1 John chapter 3. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Thank you. Morning, everyone. It's good to be gathered together as brothers and sisters of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Indeed, we're going to spend a little more time talking about that today. Uh, last weekend in our This Not That sermon series, which we are currently in, we learned that by God's grace, we have not been abandoned as spiritual orphans. Instead, as John writes in his first epistle, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And that is a truth that is worth celebrating as John himself declares later on, uh, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. And so, I'm asking, who is John talking about here in this text? Help me out. Who is he talking about? Let's be more personal. That's right. John is talking about you. John is talking about me. Everyone who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord is a child born of God. Children, not orphans. This, not that. What joyous good news for us. Amen? Amen. We, were, we also reflected last week in the message. No sooner is a child born that people start looking for a family resemblance which initially focuses on physical appearance. I mean, consider for your own self. You know, as a child, 
Do you look like mom or do you look like dad or, or great uncle Bart or, or whomever? And those of you who have children, which of, you, you, which of your children look like you or look like your spouse? And it tends to focus initially on physical resemblance, but it doesn't end there, does it? Indeed, as a child grows in years, as a child develops, we also look for family resemblances in abilities, in behavior, in character. And it is this further aspect of a family resemblance that the Apostle John invites us to spend a little bit more time considering. In our text for today, John zeroes in more specifically on what our family resemblance as children of God looks like. More than appearance, it has to do with how you and I live out our lives every day. And to make this clear, John provides us with another this, not that, contrast. John writes in chapter 3 of 1 John, This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. John reminds us that the whole world is basically divided into two spiritual families. A spiritual family that is modeled by Abel and a spiritual family that is modeled by Cain. Each of these spiritual families have their own respective fathers. John makes it clear that the father of the family modeled by Cain is the evil one. Satan, the world, the, the father, or Satan, the devil, the father of all lies. And the family that is modeled by Abel is the God and father of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. The one who has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And what is more, each of these spiritual families can be readily identified by a distinguishing family trait, a distinguishing family characteristic. The lives of those who are of the evil one are marked by hatred. Hatred for God, hatred for the things of God, hatred especially for the children of God. And the lives of those who are of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, their lives are marked by love. Love for God, love for the things of God, and love especially for the children of God. And it is with this distinct family resemblance in mind that John seeks to convey and assure to you and to me where we now stand in relation to, indeed, in relationship with Almighty God. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, John wants you and me to see our family resemblance, that family mark, that trait between us and the God and Father of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, this assurance is woven throughout this third chapter of 1 John. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the third chapter, we read such things as, this is how we know that we have passed from death to life. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. 
This is how we know that He lives in us. You see, John wants us to know that we have Jesus. He wants us to be assured of our standing with Almighty God. He wants our hearts to be set at rest in God's presence. He wants us to have confidence before God. In fact, this very assurance is the primary reason why John has written this letter in the first place. In chapter 5, verse 13, John himself tells us, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, John wants us to know that we have eternal life. Not that one day we might get eternal life, but that we have it. Because if we have Jesus, we have eternal life right now. And that is why then John impresses this upon us. He writes, this is God's command. To believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He has commanded us. And I want to take a look at this command. First of all, the first part, this is God's command to believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And I'd like to sum up that first part uh, with a little proverb, know the Son, know the Father. John writes, this is how we know that God lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. In other words, whether by baptism or whether by Christian instruction, when we believe the good news of Jesus Christ to be true, not only are we assured of Jesus as our Savior, but we are further assured that the God of, our, of all creation is our everlasting Father. And as such, we are His beloved children. This is the essence of faith. Now, if this is not where you are at currently in your life, I want to take a moment right now and just encourage you. I want to encourage you to not give up, to not walk away, to not turn your back on all of this Jesus stuff. My encouragement is, is that you spend a little bit more time familiarizing yourself, to hear more about what the Bible teaches, to be ready to ask questions and to look further, to continue to come to worship, to continue to talk and have conversation with others that you know have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and perhaps just even ask, what is it about Jesus that, that means something to you? Because it's as we spend more time getting to know the Son that we will then come to know and understand the Father. The Holy Spirit has a way of taking the good news of Jesus and impressing it upon our heart to where we too come to know not only Jesus as our Savior, but God as our Father. So know the Son, you will know the Father. But let us also uh, consider the significance of the second part of this command. This is God's command to love one another as He commanded us. And this portion of that command can be summed up with a more familiar proverb, like father, like son. In other words, as you and I grow in our relationship with the son and with the father, stand back and watch 
as all of a sudden this family resemblance begins to emerge. John writes, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. If Jesus is our Savior and Almighty God is our Father, then the family resemblance will become more and more evident in our attitude, in our speech, in our actions. We will begin to look more and more like our Father in heaven. We will begin to behave more and more like our brother, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. John then goes on and offers three examples of how this family resemblance begins to make itself known in our lives. In verse 16, uh, he talks about it'll be evidenced by sacrificial dying. John writes, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You see, Jesus gave up His rights, His position, His status, His comfort. He valued our life more than His own. He valued our neck, our skin, more than His own neck, His own skin. You will recall there was that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus was betrayed and led off to be crucified where it became quite clear either Jesus suffers hell on the cross or we do. And that is when Jesus stood up and said, then let it be me. Sacrificial dying is part of our family resemblance with Jesus. Now, granted, it may not require something as significant as a crucifixion. What it tends to look like for most of us is that we will be called to lay down our lives in installments. It will be accomplished in little ways, spread over a lifetime, whereby we give up our own rights, our position, our status, our comforts, by sacrificing our plans for the well-being, especially the spiritual well-being of others. It will be evident by our valuing our brothers and our sisters in Christ more than our own selves. That is what this love will look like when it overflows from us. But not only is there sacrificial dying, secondly, John tells us about sacrificial giving. And John poses this one to us in the form of a question. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? God's love meets needs. Our brothers and sisters in need do not just need our prayers. They also need our generosity especially those who are members with us in the household of faith, the family of Almighty God. Whenever you and I witness the overflow of someone giving of their money, giving of their possessions, giving it away to someone else, we are not just merely witnessing an act of human generosity. We are seeing the love of God. We are seeing the family resemblance 
spilling out of that person. Not only spirit or sacrificial dying, not only sacrificial giving, but John goes on to also tell us about sacrificial living. John writes, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. It is not love to simply say, I love you, and then to walk away and do nothing. Love that is in truth is love that is in action, with action. The two always go together. And whenever we see love for brothers and love for sisters in action, we are not just merely seeing acts of human kindness. We are seeing Jesus in someone, Jesus bubbling out of them. When I first arrived here to serve as pastor, uh, I took the opportunity to just focus and take a look at all the stained glass windows that are in the sanctuary at the other end of our building here. And uh, at the top of the steps, if you've not seen this one before, I encourage you, uh, we have it up here. Uh, take a look for it yourselves. It's at the top of the steps in, on the inside of the church. Uh, but it's, it's a pelican feeding its young. And I found myself standing there going, I don't get it. What, what is this doing as a work of art in, in a Christian sanctuary? Well, I did a little bit of research. In religious art, the pelican has long been a symbol of self-sacrifice. It is said that a mother pelican, if all of a sudden it is unable to find food for its young, what it will do is it will take its beak and pierce its own abdomen and then draw from the blood and then feed its young with its own blood. And as a result, the early church saw this as a beautiful depiction, a beautiful story, not only of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, but what we should in turn do as believers, as Christians. In essence, this art, this depiction is not merely a depiction of Jesus but it's also a depiction of what the church looks like when it is taking care of itself. My friends, when sacrificial dying, when sacrificial giving, when sacrificial living are evidenced by you and me, we are seeing living proof, a living object lesson of the love of God in us coming out of us. In verse 19, John writes, this then is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. My dear friends, in the years that I've been privileged to serve as pastor, one of the pastors of this congregation, I have been blessed over and over again to see incredible acts of love, of generosity, of living, of dying poured out from people, from you gathered here. I've seen it in wonderful ways over and over again. And as a result, I have come to see the wonderful family resemblance that exists here in this family of God gathered at this place. And it is my simple prayer that by God's grace, 
that our family resemblance would continue to be evident, not just simply to those who are already part of this body of believers, this family of faith, but especially to the world outside. Because we know this from our own personal experience. The world is full of hate. What a difference you and I can not only make in this world, but in the individual lives of those individuals whose lives we're privileged to intersect with. It is my prayer that as a result of our living this life of faith-driven love, that, others, that lives of others would not only be changed for a moment, but would be changed for eternity. This, not that, love, not hate. God grant that through Jesus. Amen.